One of my favorite questions is a question that I haven't actually asked in recent days. It's a question that we often put up on the screen whenever I preach because it's a question that, well, I just ask all the time. And the question is very simply this. Oh, some of you know this question. So what? So what? Maybe you asked that, just listening to that reading, like, okay, thank you, Levi, for, for that fine reading. What was that all about? It's like some guy just telling stories about a couple of his friends. This is church. What do we do with that? Well, let's take a step back for a moment, and let's, let's look at Scripture. So the Bible is a book. We often talk about the Bible as a book, but as I've often said, the Bible's really not a book. It's a library. It's a collection of books. There are 66 books written in multiple languages over hundreds of years in multiple continents by different people. This is a library that we hold in our hands, and it's filled with all different types of literature. You know, one of the things I love about a library, and by the way, this is one of the finest libraries in America. Would you agree? Our downtown library is simply amazing. It's a work of art. And if you haven't been there, I highly encourage you to check it out. It's amazing how many people have never been to the main library. Half of it is old and ornate and beautiful, and half of it is modern and filled with glass. And you can go over there. You can take your lunch up on the roof before the snow comes. Uh, it's, it's really one of the treasures I've discovered of Toledo. But I love about a library is you can go through and you can find all different types of literature. There's all sorts of things. You can find comic books. You can find romance novels. You can find dictionaries and encyclopedias. You can find biographies and autobiographies. You can learn how to fix a car. You can learn all about uh, Caesar, Augustus. You can, you can explore so many different things. But it helps to know what section you're in right? It, it, it never ceases to amaze me how many people confuse literature. Like, they, they don't understand the type of literature. Exhibit A, the Babylon B. Some of you know what I'm talking about. If you take satire like the Babylon B and treat it as you would God's holy word or even the New York Times or whatever your favorite news pieces, you'll be very, very frustrated very quickly because satire is not to be read the same way as maybe the news or an encyclopedia or something that's supposed to be factual. I love that the Bible is filled with different types of literature. There is poetry. There are instructions. There's this thing called apocalyptic literature, which speaks of all sorts of end times things, symbolic things. And we're in the midst of a series in the book of Philippians, a short letter or epistle written by Paul. And he wrote this in prison, or maybe more accurately, under house arrest. Philippi was a place where a lot of Roman soldiers that had retired were hanging out. And he had started this church. Paul had started a church in this town of Philippi. And he was now on house, in house arrest in Rome, and he was writing back to his friends in this church. He's writing, preaching about Jesus, giving instructions to this church, much the same way maybe a pastor would 
send a letter as I do to all of you every Wednesday. It's very brief in the focus. And here are the things that some of the, some of the things that we've already reviewed. He said to this church, live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. He's challenging them. He's encouraging them. He said, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. He says, do everything without complaining and arguing. How many of you have this mastered? Just checking. And then he interrupts these words of instruction, like right in the middle of this letter, and he all of a sudden takes this break and gives an update on his friends. And this is the passage that we've read together. Friends, messengers, co-laborers. Who's your best friend? Just think about that for a moment. Who is your best friend? I told you who my best friend was already today. You got to hear from her. And why are they your best friend? You know, one of the greatest challenges in our culture right now really stems from, I think, one of America's greatest strengths. They say that every strength has a weakness, a shadow side. One great strength of the United States of America, of our culture, that's very different from the German culture, it's different from the Dominican Republic culture, where we're going to be sending a team next year, other cultures of the world, we are very individualistic. The rugged individualistic. Now, it's a little bit before my time. Some of you remember, like, the Marlboro Man or, 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 or these, these old Westerns. I think the Westerns, wasn't John Wayne, like, the most rugged individual, like, just, I don't, I don't need anybody. But the fact of the matter is, all the way in the very, very beginning of Scripture, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. Now, he was talking about a man and the need for a man to have a woman and they get married and procreate and expand and now we have people on our planet, etc. But I think the point is more than just in a marital context, single people need friendship. In fact, married people need friendship, relationships. We need friends. We are made to do life together. And it amazes me how so many people in our culture right now find themselves alone, anxious, depressed, and yet they've created this wall around themselves that doesn't allow any time or space or vulnerability with other people. Obviously, social media is to blame for some of it, perhaps. Our, our, our busy schedules can be to blame for some of it. But I, I, I often have these weird ideas in my head like, I want to put a billboard that says, Tuesday at 10 p.m., if you're lonely, just come to this place and get all the lonely people together so they're not lonely anymore. And I don't mean that to be silly or facetious or certainly not offensive in any way, but it, it seems like we've just walled ourselves up and so many people have a difficulty having true friendships, having true relationships. A few weeks ago, we talked about how, how God himself exists in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. The very nature of what we call church is from the Greek word ekklesia, a gathering, an assembly of people. We are an interdependent family. That's what we are. We need each other. I need you and you need me. 
Paul talks about this a lot in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, and you can read about it in Romans 12 and other places. We don't have time to unpack all the, all the details about spiritual gifts and how we're, we are a body, and every body has many different parts. And if one of those parts suffers, you all suffer. If you've ever stubbed your toe, you know what I'm talking about. When one part suffers, we all suffer, and when one part rejoices, we all rejoice. We celebrate together. Now, of course, a family, a body, different parts, it's really, really messy. People often ask me, How, how's First of the Lions going? And I, I, I call our family a beautiful mess. That's what we are, family. We are a beautiful mess. Now, emphasizing the beautiful part, but because we all have sin and we're all broken and we make mistakes, we need a lot of grace for one another. So in our text today, we see Paul talking about a couple of his friends, uh, two guys that are really, really dear to him, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And they set a really good example, I think, for us to follow as friends, as parts of the body, as followers of Jesus. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we take a, a look at this text I thank you for the example, not only of Paul, but also of Timothy and Epaphroditus. I pray that our lives would look like their lives to the extent that they look like Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen. So the theme of this short epistle, as we've talked about, and as you see even on the screen, is joy. We've talked about joy. We've talked about rejoicing rejoice he says again i say rejoice not because he's having a picnic not because his team won the big game i mean after all he's under house arrest but despite his circumstances paul had a joy that came from the lord the joy of the lord truly was his strength a few weeks ago in chapter one i made mention of this simple two-word expression conduct matters and it came from a passage that we looked at just a few moments ago. Live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Now, actually, I, I want to go back to this before we go into Timothy and Epaphroditus. Because I ran out of time and I never really finished my point on this. Paul has a clear desire for his audience, which, by the way, is not us. He didn't write this letter to us, but it's for us. It's the same desire that Jesus has. His desire for us is simple. It is to follow Jesus, to love him, to love others. That's it. And this isn't done by trying harder. The goal isn't to merely avoid doing bad things. Some of you were taught in church or Sunday school or by parents or whatever. The goal is just to stop doing bad things. Just stop it. Just stop, 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 stop it. There's some problems with that. First of all, sometimes it's hard to stop it. Not that you shouldn't be doing those things, but it's also not just enough to avoid doing the bad things. We are to love. Followers of Jesus are not to be known simply for what we're against, but for what we're for. And it seems like culturally speaking right now, everybody's talking about what we're against. I would love for us to have the reputation of being the most loving people on the planet. Because Jesus said that they will know that you are my followers by the love that you have for one another. Not by your political platform, 
Not by how much you hate people or types of people or issues or things, but the love that you have. It begins with surrender, with letting go, with giving Jesus your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like the five people that we recently saw baptized, it's about dying to yourself so that you can be made new and alive in Christ. Religion's all about trying harder, trying to earn God's approval by your good deeds, which is simply impossible. Nobody is that good, and God doesn't grade on a curve. And let me insert this thought. I was reminded again this week listening to one of my favorite authors, Sky Jatani, and he, he said, God doesn't need you, but he wants you. God doesn't need you, but he wants you. He doesn't need you to do good things. He doesn't need you to be perfect. He doesn't need you to, to do all this stuff. He just wants you, and it's a privilege to serve him. It's a joy to be a part of his family. It's a joy to conduct ourselves in the way of Jesus. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we can, see, we can receive grace, unmerited favor. It's unearned, it's undeserved, it's a gift to be received. Have you received it? The reason Paul said conduct matters is because if you've ever encountered Jesus more than anything else, you want to please him, you want to follow him, you want to do things that live up to his expectations. It's not a have to, it's a get to. It's a joy. All right, so one of the things that I love about Scripture is that it's filled with real people in real places describing real events. People often talk about, you know, prove to me that the Bible is true. By the way, there's some new archaeological research that was just uncovered this past week that's blowing archaeologists', archaeologists minds because it speaks to some of the Old Testament stories, some of the the, the places, I mean, real places that the Bible talks about, they've uncovered, they've discovered, and they're constantly making these new discoveries. So these are real people, real places, real time. So, Timothy is referenced in the first, very first verse of this whole book, and he's also the recipient of two letters that Paul wrote, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. You may think that Timothy wrote those, Paul wrote those to Timothy. So, if you have your Bibles, Philippians 2.19, we're going to go. If the Lord is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. I wonder, I wonder if that could be said of you. If someone wrote you a letter, if I wrote you a letter, or your best friend wrote you a letter... Would they say that you genuinely care about other people or only for yourself? I mean, we all know the right answer. We all know what we want people to say about us, but really, think about it. Look at your checkbook. Look at, look at your spending, your calendar. Look at the way that you spend your time and your energy, your relationships, even your time on social media. Is it all about you or others? He says, you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. I don't think there's a whole lot to analyze here. I mean, I've, I've done some of the, the research, the background. 
it's pretty much what it says. It doesn't really take a lot of linguistic skills to understand that, that Paul loves his friend Timothy. He actually considers him like a son. And truly, he was a son to Paul in the faith. Paul mentored, he discipled Timothy. And then next, he turns to Epaphroditus, which I don't think is in this year's top 10 names for babies. My, my daughter had a, a girl, so she really couldn't name her Epaphroditus. I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He's a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to help me in my need. I'm sending him because he's been longing to see you. And he was very distressed that, he, that you heard that he was ill. And he clearly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God. He almost died, but God. You know, there's a lot of times I don't like that, that, that word, but. But there are, when God is following the word but, good things usually are found there. But God. See, I know some of you, your lives right now, it's been a hard week, it's been a hard month, it's been a hard year. Some of you just had a hard life. But your story's not over. And I just want to remind you and I want to encourage you that no matter what you're facing today, but God. You might be on the verge of death as Epaphroditus was, but God. You may not see any hope in the future, but God. God had mercy on him and, and also on me, Paul says, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I'm all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him. And then I'll not be so worried about you. I, I love Paul's shepherding heart for this church. I mean, he started several churches, so it wasn't like he had just one congregation to focus on. But he loved these people. He cared for these people. He wanted the very best for these people. And as a pastor, I really identify that as well. I love you, church. I, I love you so much, and I want good things for you. I, I want you to experience God's deepest love. I want you to experience the joy and the thrill of being engaged in ministry of being a part of God's family, of building his kingdom. I got a call this week from, from someone in our church, and, and he was just telling me this new depth of relationship with Jesus that he was experiencing, some, some new challenges, some aha moments where God had really pricked his heart and, and, and really challenged him to, to take some new steps to follow, back to our first song. And the joy... It was almost overwhelming joy that this person was having at this revelation and a greater understanding of not only how much God loved him, but how much opportunity he has to serve and bless others. I love that Paul is like a real person. He has real emotions. You know, sometimes we, we, we think about these Bible writers as if, you know, they floated just maybe an inch or two above the ground. You know, they, 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 they're just so holy and, and wonderful and perfect. They're real people just like us. By the way, I hate to spill the beans, but, you know, we often elevate missionaries and international workers, and Sarah's feet are on the ground. So I, I just want you to know, like, they're real people just following Jesus in different places. 
The only one that we need to worship, that we need to elevate is Jesus. So Paul says, welcome him in the Lord's love with great joy and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ. And he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do far away. Again, a description and commendation of his friend and instructions to welcome him. Paul loved these guys. Timothy, Epaphroditus, these are my guys. They're on my team. I, I want you to love them and support them, encourage them. So, that's our text for today. What do we do with that? I mean, how is this going to help us in Toledo in 2022? How does this help us love God and, and love others as ourselves? In what way can this lead us and help us to become better disciple makers? Well, I wanted to share a few thoughts today. First, our faith is the result of real historic events in real places with real people and a real God. And I know I've said this time and time again, but it bears re- repeating, especially for you young people that are trying to make sense of what the world and the culture says and what the Bible says. Is the Bible just a fairy tale? Is the Easter bunny and the unicorns in there too? No. No, our faith is based on real people, real places, and a real, real God. Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, these guys walk the earth. It's funny, nobody questions whether Abraham Lincoln walked the face of the earth. I've never heard anybody say anything about, well, I don't think George, I think George Washington was just made up. We don't hear that. And yet, I've never met anybody that's met George Washington. How many of you have met someone that met George Washington? But by faith, because of writings, because of historical documents, we all assume like he's, he really was our first president. Pastor Paul had friends who discovered and used their spiritual gifts. It's really a, been a burden on my heart. If I can just riff for a minute. Ministry is not just for the professionals. The role of pastors is not to preach, lead meetings, visit the sick, do weddings and funerals, counsel, and a hundred other things for the congregation to sit back and watch and critique. According to Paul, writing to the church of Ephesus, he said their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. It's my job to equip you to do God's work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. That's my job. That's Pastor Donald's job. That's Pastor Mike's job. That's the job of our staff. It's to equip you to do the ministry. Some of you are amazing at this. You are passionately using your gifts and serving the Lord. You're engaging in God's work. You're experiencing the thrill of seeing people come to faith in Christ, of seeing people healed as you pray for them, the thrill of discipling others and watching them grow. And by the way, discipleship is really, really hard because it takes forever, or it seems like it takes forever. Some of you are parents. You know this just raising your own children. It's like, Someone told me when, when we first had little, little people, they're like, boy, they just grow up so fast. And I'm like, they do not. They cry all day long. When will they ever gr- stop crying? When will they ever learn to change their own diaper for Pete's sake? And then someone told me this. They said, the, years, or the, the days go by slow, the years go by fast, which in retrospect, I agree. 
But often we just get frustrated because people are messy. Because growth, discipleship takes time. Sometimes it takes days, weeks, months, years, decades. Spiritual formation, discipleship, it's slow, it's incremental, it's over time, it's with others, and it's for others. And that's why life together is so important. That's why we're a family. That's why First Alliance Church is more than just an hour on Sunday. It's doing life together. It's being involved in each other's lives. It's iron sharpening iron. It's encouraging one another when we need encouragement. It's in, it's in comforting one another and loving one another. Rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Some of you come week after week and all you know of First Alliance, maybe all you know of Jesus is just an hour on Sunday and I want to say this is not a spiritual diet pill for you to take and sustain you the rest of the week. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you enjoy your, our time together. I hope you can engage in some conversation and in, in about 30 minutes I hope you can enjoy a good meal together and we can break bread together and fellowship at our potluck. but we were created for community. We were created to, to do life together with one another. And some of you, if you just come week after week, I'm glad you're here, but let me just say this. It's more fun to play than watch the game. It's a whole lot more fun to play than to watch the game. I mean, we have this stage, and you know, I'm up here, and Heather and Sarah, and our music team, and Pastor Donald, and like you guys watch, but, but we're here to equip you to get in the game, to experience the thrill of being used by Almighty God. Several years ago, Princeton Alliance in New Jersey, a church a bit larger than us, they brought in a consultant for their team, and the staff was told they could not do any hands-on ministry for six months. All they could do is delegate responsibilities to other people, but the consultant said no hands-on ministry for the staff for six months. They grew from 500 to 2,000 people. Now, the goal is not to have a big church, but it is to engage every person in meaningful ministry and service. Not because we need you, but because you need the thrill of living out your purpose, discovering how God wired you up, and experiencing that joy. Timothy did that. Epaphroditus did that. They were sent out. They were discipled. They were ministers. And I don't think they had a payroll for those guys. This is why we have life groups for you to participate, to engage. This is why we have dinner church, opportunities to serve. We have Celebrate Recovery Wednesdays at seven. This new Masterpiece Mentors where if you're interested, we'd love to match you up with somebody that you can disciple, that you can help on their journey. This is why we have 10 home missions partners in our city and a lot of you serve with one of these 10 groups. And I think it's fantastic. It's why we've got a team going to the Dominican Republic and God's opening up opportunities as well in Germany because we're not only concerned about our Jerusalem here in Toledo, but also Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. It's not just about serving others for their sake. It's also about equipping others and being empowered for your sake to serve. God doesn't need us, but he wants us. And he wants to invite all of us into his kingdom, into his mission. If you're looking for a place to start, some of you are like, this is all new to me. Like, I don't even know, what are you talking? I'm not a preacher. 
What am I supposed to do? Freeshapetest.com. Write it down. Some of you have already been through this. It's, it's a free assessment. It'll help you understand a little bit about how God's wired you. There's no right or wrong answer. Some of you are like, I don't take tests. I'm terrible at tests. You'll pass this one, I promise. There's no way to fail it. It's just questions about who you are, what you love to do. It's a free assessment, freeshapetest.com. Another step involves apprenticeship. Paul had apprentices, Timothy, Epaphroditus, others. Every leader should have an apprentice leader. Every leader at First Alliance Church should have an apprentice leader. If you're a deacon, you should have someone you're, you're an apprenticing. If, if you lead children in our children's ministry, who are you apprenticing? Every leader should have an apprentice. And if you're curious, just ask someone, hey, could I be your apprentice? You want to make someone's day, just, just go up to them, hey, can I be your apprentice? Can I just, like shadow you can i like what you do is really pretty exciting it's interesting to me can i just maybe help out and see if maybe god's created me to run the soundboard maybe god's put me on this earth for a purpose of apprenticing as a life group leader maybe maybe there's an area of ministry and service that that you've been curious about I'm giving you all freedom or permission. I'm giving you language today. Can I be your apprentice? It's not a lifelong commitment. Don't get scared. But I challenge you today. If you're not already serving somewhere, find something that interests you and just ask if you can shadow someone, if you can tag along, if you can just kind of test it out. Ask Sue Trumbull if you can help her with kids. Ask Pastor Mike if you can help with Alliance Youth. Ask Hollywood if you can help us celebrate recovery or ask your life group leader if you could be an apprentice in the group. I dream of a day when every leader at First Alliance has an apprentice. Every single person has someone that they're discipling, that that they're reproducing, they're pouring into. And this isn't a recruiting speech at all. This is an invitation to discover and live out your purpose, why God's created you. See, when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, he wasn't at a pastor's conference. In our our culture, we have this mindset that we pay the pastor and the, the professionals to do all the ministry. Our job is to equip you, to empower you, to give you the thrill of serving. The Great Commission is for every follower of Jesus. Timothy and Epaphroditus were friends. They were co-workers of Paul. They began as apprentices and over time gained more experience, skill, and confidence to become engaged in greater ministry opportunities. And while we're on the subject, if you know of any high school or college students interested in ministry, we have paid internships available for them. Join our team. Check out our website. Yes, I catch the irony of mentioning a paid internship opportunity while I'm talking about volunteerism. But in both cases, we need people to get in the game. And by the way, some of our greatest needs presently are life group leaders, social media, digital storytelling, graphic arts, sound, IT, and communications. So if any of those are of interest to you, please talk to me or contact our office. So in conclusion, before we have some updates, so what? Pastor Pastor Paul had friends who discovered and used their spiritual gifts. What about you?
Let's pray. Lord, once again, I thank you for your word, the power of your word. This is an interesting text. It doesn't have a lot of instructions for us to to apply immediately today. But looking at Paul's life and Timothy's life and Epaphroditus' life, it's obvious that, that they were part of building your kingdom, of serving you, of devoting their lives to you, of investing in others. And I pray, Lord, that First Alliance would be a factory of disciples, a disciple-making factory where we see more and more people not only meet Jesus, but then share Jesus. Not only be involved in groups, but participate in leading groups and hosting groups. Not only involved in watching people do ministry, but engaging, rolling up their sleeves and getting in the game themselves. Thank you for what you're doing in and through First Alliance. To you be the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, before we rush off to potluck, I know I stand before, between you and lunch. Uh, a few announcements, a few updates that I want to share with you. Uh, and the first is from our elder board. And I want to introduce Dave Oram. Would you welcome Dave? Good morning. Uh, the elder board is enthusiastically making this announcement uh, this morning. And that is, along with uh, Dr. Thomas George, who is our district superintendent for the Alliance, and the Elder Board is offering Pastor Kirk a sabbatical. And Thank you very that much. Is, that is something you should be enthusiastic about. Um, the word sabbatical uh, brings to mind many ideas, and I thought uh, I would ask uh, Pastor Kirk about uh, sabbatical and help to clarify our understanding uh, together as a congregation. Well, I, I don't really have a whole lot of experience with sabbaticals. In fact, I've never taken one in 33 years. Um, the, really, Thomas George in the district uh, recommend it every seven years for pastors in the district. And that was just a whole new thought to me. And so I did a lot of research and exploring and thought it might be healthy for not only for me, but for our church. So is, is this a vacation? I wish. Uh, actually, I, I probably don't wish. I'd get bored. Uh, sabbatical is not a vacation. It is a time of rest. It's a time of refreshment. It'll be filled with study. I'm hoping to compose some worship songs that maybe we'll be able to sing someday, just some new fresh songs. Uh, that's one area of my life that I've, I've had a lot of interest and passion, but just not a lot of time to do. Um, we're trying to develop a, a, some disciplines and rhythms for this that are going to hopefully fill me so that I can fill you. Um, when would you like to do this? We are planning next year, more or less the months of June, July, and August. Uh, so uh, the, the district had recommended three months. So basically summer when our programs are minimal uh, to take some time off. Uh, still involved in spiritual activities, do some fasting, prayer, study, but allowing the hands-on ministry to be done by the elders, the staff, and all of you as I just preached about. So I have till 
next year to equip all of you to do the work of the ministry. Does this mean anything bad for us? Like, are you going away? Are you looking for a new job? Or... I, I hope it means nothing bad for anyone. Uh, no, in, in fact, one of the things, a lot of times pastors, I've, I've known pastors that have taken sabbaticals at the edge of burnout or actually in the middle of burnout. And at that point, it's actually too late. And I, I know so many stories of pastors burning out, taking sabbaticals, and either they don't return to the church or the church doesn't want them to return and all sorts of bad things happen on the back end. And so rather than waiting until I get burned out or till crisis arises or something like this, this is a proactive step to make sure that I've got the, the fuel for the long haul to come back with clearer vision, with greater passion, with deeper energy, and for the church. And really, it's an opportunity for the staff to step up, to be challenged in new and fresh ways, to exercise some of their muscles. And the stories that I've heard from others, again, I have no personal experience, but Reverend Thomas George and others that have encouraged me and encouraged us as, as elders have talked about the great benefits, not only to the pastor, but to the church, and that everybody wins when the whole thing is over. So I hear you saying that you're not burned out uh, right now, you're not looking for another job. Correct. Uh, right now. Um, I don't know if anyone would even hire me anywhere else. So we're not, we're not, uh, we love being here. And so the plan is to come back ever refreshed. Again, this is several months down the road. I'm, I'm not leaving tomorrow, but we thought we'd alert the congregation now just to heads up. Um, just past seven years, so I'm officially eligible for, for this now as of this month. Well, it's wonderful. Uh, as elders, we think that this is a great idea, um, and we are looking forward to what the Lord uh, will do with Kirk and Heather, and um, just ask for your, your full support uh, in this. Um, Thank you. Also, uh, in th this week's uh, FAC uh, Connect, there will be a written description of a sabbatical as well, if you want to refer to that. Uh, for your understanding. So. Yeah, there'll be a link in Wednesday's focus. Thanks. Great. Thank you, Dave. So a couple of other updates. There's been a lot going on on our campus. As a lot of you know, this building was hit, and it's getting there. It's, it's getting there. Um, they, they put in some insulation just yesterday. A lot of the bricks and the outward materials are on order. It's just supply chain, and it's just crazy out there. But this building is being mended pretty well, and we're grateful for that. It's actually going to be new and improved when all is said and done. I'm really excited that the nursery area, our children's area, we were, we were envisioning something new and fresh even before this car decided to run into our nursery and so it's just a, a perfect opportunity for us to enhance our ministry to the next generation. A, a couple updates, though. Um, the building next door, which was also hit, as you know, um, our planning and building committee, uh, we've been meeting many, many times for many months now to talk about what is the future of that space. And I don't have any concrete announcement to make to you other than the future of First Alliance is not in that building. Uh, the long-term plans for the youth center 
the long-term plans for the church do not involve the youth center. So at some point, we're going to be looking at uh, doing something new and different with that space. We're getting all sorts of bids and quotes and figuring out options, but it, it definitely needs some serious attention, and we're giving it that attention. And uh, it's important just for you to know that we're envisioning a new building at some point in the future. And originally, the, the vision was out in the grassy area, but it may be that down the line we're going to create a new building in that, in that space. Um, the building has a lot of major expenses. There's issues related to HVAC. There's issues related to uh, the fact that about half the building isn't even usable. Upstairs, there's basements. Uh, some of you have been, I mean, most of you have been in the youth center, but you probably don't know that there are five different buildings that were can, that were brought together in that youth center, there are 12 different HVAC systems in that building. And so just the cost to operate it and everything is extraordinary. The cost to, to just to, to duct tape, not even fix, but to duct tape the damage from the, the first crash back in January next door is over $100,000. So we're just, we're trying to, to weigh like, what is the best use of, of our resources? I mean, insurance has given us money, so we're grateful for that. But what is the best, how can we be the best stewards of that space? Uh, which leads me to... So the Land Bank officially has possession of this beauty, also known as Blanton's or Jesse's Gems. And we were able to, to clear one big hurdle. We did some testing and discovered that there's no asbestos. So that's huge. And so we're, we're getting quotes for demolition right now. Our, our plan is to, to demo and turn it into green space. At least that's the, the short-term plan. We've been working for years to try to acquire this. So it's now in the possession of Land Bank. They're looking at selling to us for under $300 which was significantly less than some prices that we were offered years ago. As some of you know, maybe good things come to those that wait. But we are, we're all looking forward to the day where that's a memory and we can enjoy a much better, uh, more beautified campus. So again, planning and building committee. If you're on a planning and building committee, would you just stand real quick? Because I want people to know who you are in case there are questions. Um, these, these guys have been working really hard. I've had, a, 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 again, a lot of conversations. And we're working with a lot of incomplete data as we're just trying to get more quotes, get more numbers, put things together so we can make good decisions about our, the future of our campus. But I think, I think the, the future looks bright. It's beautiful. It's going to take some time because anything related to construction right now takes a lot of time. And yes, at some point, it's probably going to involve a capital campaign. So save up those nickels and dimes and thousand dollar bills yeah so with that uh, i think it's probably time for us to wrap up uh, i'm looking at the clock and you guys have been very gracious Went a little bit over today but hopefully it was worth it to get some updates to hear from uh, sarah and would you please stand Lord, it's good to be in your house. It's even better to be your house, to know, Holy Spirit, that you live and dwell inside of us. 
This has been a little, little different morning today, and I'm, I'm grateful that we could spend this time together with one another and with you. And I'm also grateful, Lord, for our meal together that is about to take place. I pray now your blessing on our food, our fellowship together, as we just enjoy one another, enjoy your family, enjoy being a part of your family. And thank you, though none of us deserve it, you invite us, you welcome us, you want us. We love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, family, the food has been blessed, so go get it.